Ukraine resists and pushes Russia back, while Russia regroups its forces. Despite the difficult situation on the front line, Ukraine and its international partners are working together to secure the upcoming winter period. You're listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. Explain Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, an English-language website about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher, journalist and chief editor of Ukraine World. I'm joined by my colleagues Anastasia Herosimchuk and Darya Zinhayevska, journalists and analysts at Ukraine World, to discuss key events in and around Ukraine for the last week. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the largest Ukrainian media NGOs. Let me remind you that you can support our work at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We provide exclusive content for our patrons. You can also support our volunteer trips to the front lines at paypal, ukraine.resisting.gmail.com. You can find these links in the description of this episode. Hello, Dasha. Another week has passed and it's time to discuss the events that happened in and around Ukraine. Could you tell our listeners what we are going to tell them about? Sure, Nastya. The previous week was rich for events and in this episode we are going to put on agenda some of them, namely our regular brief on developments on the front line, Russia's terror on civilians, Ukraine's achievements on both domestic and international arenas, and surely legal frames of asset seizure. Well, uh, traditionally, let's start from the news from the front lines. Every week we start from this topic and it remains actual and important because that's the core focus of everything that is going on in Ukraine. And regarding the developments on the front line, we can still keep talking about the gradual advancements of Ukrainian armed armed forces in the key directions. Uh, Regarding the directions, here we talk about the uh, main two directions. These are uh, southern and the eastern ones. And um, in the southern direction of action, we can single out two main sectors. Uh, The first is the left bank of the Kherson Kherson region. Uh, It uh, was under the focus of our attention, but very sporadically, because uh, the previous weeks, Ukrainian armed forces... um, conducted raids to that territory and um, conducted uh, operations to the point. They were tactical actions. Uh, Now, um, over the last week, we can talk about the bigger scale of Ukrainian armed forces' presence in that sector. And there is news about uh, the attempts of uh, Ukrainian armed forces to cross the Dnipro River in three directions in that part of uh, Kherson region. Uh, So uh, with a certain kind of cautiousness, but we can uh, tell that uh, Ukraine is advancing in another sector of the southern direction. And uh, here we talk about the Kherson Kherson region. As uh, it happened the previous weeks, Ukrainian armed forces keep moving forward in the Zaporizhia region. And here we talk about the western part of uh, Zaporizhia Oblast, and namely Melitopol direction. Uh, And the command of this sector of the front line tells about continued uh, advancements in the uh, areas of Robotine and Verbove. Uh, these two villages are important strategic points in the direction of uh, Tokmak. 
and moving further uh, in uh, Melitopol direction, with a, which is a strategic uh, aim of Ukrainian armed forces. Uh, talking about the eastern flank, uh, here Bakhmut remains in the focus of Ukraine, uh, Ukrainian armed forces, and uh, we have news about a certain um, advancement in the south of the city. So we can make a conclusion about the steady, gradual advance, advancement, about gradual move forward. Meanwhile, Russians are trying to counterattack uh, and they are trying to get back certain positions. And, uh, of course, um, Russian armed forces are trying to divert Ukrainian attention and to draw Ukrainian forces from the key uh, key directions of uh, Ukrainian counteroffensive. And here we talk about the attempts to counterattack near Bakhmut and uh, the western part of the Parisia region. And, uh, of course, uh, it's a Kupiansk line. And uh, the main hotspot is Avdiivka. Avdiivka remains the main point of efforts by uh, Russian armed forces to gain certain strategic foothold. Uh, talking generally without uh, going into more details, uh, we can say that Ukrainian armed forces managed to repel Russian attacks. And we talk about dozens, uh, attacks, dozens of attacks per day in every uh, sector, uh, which is extremely difficult, uh, which are extremely difficult conditions uh, to hold the enemy and to re uh, repel the attacks. And we know the ways, the means Russians are con conducting uh, war, military actions. They use all possible means, um, fire means, including the prohibited ones. Uh, but uh, Ukrainian armed forces uh, with this um, superhero efforts manage to hold the front line and they don't let Russians uh, break uh, through the, the lines, through the defense lines. And talking about Avdiivka, um, according to the British intelligence, uh, it's become the biggest failure of Russian armed forces this year and uh, Russians lost the biggest amount of soldiers exactly in this sector. But still, despite this, fails in, in meat grinder assaults. Uh, Russians keep um, sending new forces there. And now, according to uh, official information, about 40,000 uh, uh, soldiers uh, currently located in that sector. And uh, Russians continue to relocate uh, people from uh, other uh, sectors of the front line uh, because it seems important, strategically important for them to take the, the city. And since it's not uh, possible for Russians for now to enter the city, to break uh, the defense line of the city itself, uh, they keep trying uh, to encircle, uh, encircle Avdiivka. And there is also alarming news regarding the coke and uh, chemical uh, factory, which is located uh, in the south of the city. Uh, so according to the mili uh, to military intelligence information, Russians are going to attack uh, this factory. And why is it alarming? Because it's a big uh, chemical factory and the consequences of such an attack uh, can be a um, disaster 
like man-made disaster. So we will see how the situation will develop there and we'll uh, keep you in loop. Thank you, Nastya, for such detailed brief. And uh, I'm absolutely with you on the stance that our def- defenders do their best to, to repel Russia's barbarous war and we pay tribute for their efforts. But um, also, uh, as far as I know, you're in Odessa and we know that uh, the morning was distorted there with explosions and alerts. So maybe you can shed some light on this as well. Unfortunately, as every week we keep talking about it, uh, Russians keep terrorizing Ukrainian cities. Uh, we talk about the deep rear, we talk about the uh, frontline cities, and uh, today uh, was not an exception, and uh, the morning has started uh, with explosions in Odessa, and it was a disturbing event, uh, so the uh, explosion took place before the air raid alert went off uh, and they were there was a series of uh, explosions and according to officials russians used uh, ballistic missiles and their target was the ship repair plants unfortunately two people were heavily wounded and doctors are fighting for their lives now um and um, I, I will not even mention all the attacks that happened over the past week. Even though every attack, uh, every damaged building, every wounded person is the matter of uh, extreme importance. Because uh, like every week we tell about um, these events, but just imagine how long it is going on and how long Ukrainians have to live under this Uh, circumstances under these conditions that every moment um, a missile can reach uh, a place people uh, people work or live so it's a huge tragedy and unfortunately it's already becoming a statistics how many missiles russians uh, launched or how many strike uavs russians launched Mm, but unfortunately that's the reality we are living in And uh, talking about the recent attacks, just uh, over the last night, uh, Russians carried out uh, drone and missile attacks, and luckily Ukrainian uh, air defense managed to shoot down down all the um, air uh, targets. And uh, here we talk about 12 uh, strike UAVs and two uh, cruise um, missiles, uh, H-59. but unfortunately, even when, when Ukrainian air defense manages to shoot down the targets, uh, still uh, there are dangers coming from uh, debris of shot um, missiles and drones. And um, unfortunately, uh, buildings and uh, are damaged and uh, some people got wounded. Mm, the previous uh, days, there were also massive um, missile attacks and the geography of these attacks uh, is very vast so we cannot say that at a certain night night only south of ukraine was under attack or only the north of ukraine was under attack russians are using these tactics that um, is uh, aimed at um, uh, is it a which is aimed at weakening the ukrainian uh, air defense systems and also at confusing 
those people who are responsible for shooting down the air targets. And the um, previous night, uh, the south of Ukraine and the east and the central parts of Ukraine and the western parts of Ukraine were under attack. And these were, again, mixed attacks uh, with uh, drones and missiles. Uh, unfortunately, uh, and I even don't mention um, the frontline cities and border cities, which are at reach of artillery. And uh, when we talk about uh, Donetsk region or Kharkiv region or uh, Kherson region, uh, people are suffering from um, artillery shellings and uh, from air attacks like uh, dozens times a day. Uh, for example, on 24th of October, Russians launched over 180 strikes against 21 settlements in the Parisia Oblast. Uh, and only on uh, October 20, uh, 25th of October, only over one day, uh, Russians dropped 35 aerial bombs on Kherson Oblast. Uh, so uh, when it comes to frontline cities and cities which are in close vicinity to Russian borders, the amount of attacks is just enormous. And that's the reality Ukrainians have to live in. Uh, and um, Russians, as, as I've told about these attacks, Russians are committing... Uh, war crimes, because the attacks against uh, civilians and civilian infrastructure is a war crime. But it's not only the only war crime Russians have been committing. Uh, we also know about the cases when uh, Russians are committing crimes against Ukrainian culture. And um, Ukraine is paying close attention to this problem and uh, the last week, the uh, virtual museum was created, which is dedicated to stolen artworks. Uh, Dasha, can you tell us more details about this initiative and this museum? Surely, of course, it's a little bit hard to to talk about something um, something like that after that barrages that we witness. But uh, still, we have to stay strong to stay strong with Ukraine and. Uh, Particularly this event, what we want to, to share with our listeners is that, uh, indeed, this virtual museum uh, has been created to collect uh, digital copies of artworks stolen, destroyed or missing as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And you see, on October 27th, it conducted a virtual tour by the uh, special platform and uh, although it was majestic it's a little bit disturbing because you know that these are the artists of ukraine and russia consistently raising identity of ukrainian culture and faces of ukrainian culture and currently the project's website features exhibits from the Guinji museum in mariupol that were stolen by the russian occupiers after they seized the city these include original pieces by Arhip Kuinji, paintings by Ivan Ivazovsky and Mikola Dubovsky, and many more. So the team plans to add new rooms with exhibits from museums in 
Kherson, Sumy, Chernihiv, Kharkiv, and Crimea. But you see, the importance of the initiative is that it has not only been an archive for documenting Russian crimes against the Ukrainian people and culture, as you mentioned, but also an attempt to return stolen artworks to their homeland and bring Russia to justice. So that is why the reason to attend it is at least threefold. Anyway, uh, Nastya speaking about showing the world destructions Russia brought with this invasion. What is the international response to it? Uh, what is this unwavering support of our international partners? Um, international support is vitally important for Ukraine. And uh, here we talk about all the kinds of international support. Um, military support, political support, and even expressing the solidarity with Ukraine is, um, you know, is something that raises spirit and gives uh, hope and strength to fight and to uh, protect uh, our our country, our motherland. And of course, when we are talking about this support, the first thing uh, that comes to our mind and the thing of the f- primary importance is exactly the military support. And um, we are maybe overemphasizing the importance of uh, these actions, uh, providing military support to Ukraine from our partners. But... Um, It is important not only for Ukraine, as we mentioned uh, several times, this war is not just the the war uh, by Russia against Ukraine, it's the war of values and the war of systems. Uh, So now Ukraine is the uh, front line uh, between the world of values and the world of authoritarianism. That is why uh, Ukraine is paying uh, paying with blood and with suffering. And to protect our system, to protect the uh, values, to protect liberal values, democracy, and the importance of human life, uh, our partners, they understand that it's necessary to provide uh, weaponry to Ukraine. Otherwise, this fight might be lost. And uh, the price Ukraine pays is extremely high. And it's not the, just the price of weapons that our Western partners send to us. It's the price, uh, this price is people's lives. And um, fortunately and luckily, international community uh, keeps supporting Ukraine and this support is unwavering. And the last week, uh, Ukraine got several more packages of military aid. And let me start with the... Uh, let's say the most important one in terms of its content it's the military package aid from uh, germany uh, why I, um, I i'm focusing exactly on this package because uh, alongside with additional uh, heavy um, vehicles and uh, air defense systems as uh, irst uh, germany is going to provide ukraine with short range cluster missiles uh, and that's the first time. That's the first time Ukraine is uh, going to be provided with this kind of missiles. Uh, these are M twenty six DPI CM missiles. Their range is thirty five kilometers. Uh, but as I've mentioned, these are cluster, 
uh, missiles. So uh, one missile has about 400 pieces, which is a perfect weapon uh, to fight, like perfect anti-infantry weapon. And these kind of missiles, they can change the situation on the front lines, especially taking into account the nature of Russian assaults. This uh, meat-grinder kind of assaults, which are exhausting Ukrainian armed forces, uh, this problem can be solved by using this type of missile, because just uh, one, uh, one missile, one piece, uh, can, can change the situation on the ground. And uh, Germany is also going to provide Ukraine with uh, M270MLRS. So this is a significant strengthening of Ukrainian capabilities uh, directly on the front lines. And hopefully uh, this will help to change uh, the situation Uh, directly in the Avdivka sector and to move forward in the southern and eastern directions. Uh, Nevertheless, the air defense remains the key priority of uh, Ukraine. Uh, Ukrainian territory is big and it's quite difficult to protect all the cities, all the settlements, all the uh, critical and civilian infrastructure. Uh, regarding the uh, surface of uh, Ukraine, regarding the uh, regarding how big the territory is, uh, we need really a big amount of uh, air defense systems. That is why this topic remains uh, a key priority for quite a long time. And uh, thanks to our Western partners, this this situation is getting better, but still. There is so much to be done. And in this regard, uh, the UK uh, is providing additional air defense systems uh, to Ukraine, uh, which is a huge, huge step forward. Um, There is also the problem of uh, mined territories, and we also talked about it uh, very often. And nowadays, as as of now, Ukraine is the most mined country in the world. And the scale of uh, this uh, problem is, is really huge. So the surface, the mine surface in Ukraine is even bigger now than uh, it was in the times of the Second World War. Uh, so it's a new anti-record. And uh, to solve this problem, uh, the UK is also going to provide demining equipment together with Australia, by the way, because Australia is also going to uh, provide a certain uh, military aid package to Ukraine. Uh, so it will include the mining equipment, of course, and um, anti-drone systems, which is extremely important for us, again, because Russians are using uh, strike UAVs uh, on a regular basis. Uh, Australia is also going to... Um, provide Ukraine with uh, metal 3D printers and portable X-ray machines, which are uh, supporting additional um, um, types of uh, equipment, but very vital and important on the front lines. Uh, Coming back to Germany, again, uh, I want to add that uh, Germany is uh, going to invest about 55 million euros 
uh, into energy support funds because ener- energy sphere uh, remains crucial for Ukraine, especially in autumn and winter. Uh, we know about Russian terrorist attacks uh, on critical infrastructure. Uh, that's why these energy support packages um, would help uh, to build the energy resilience of Ukraine, and uh, it will help to survive uh, autumn and winter. And uh, talking, keeping talking about the international dimension and support to Ukraine, an important uh, event took place in Brussels in 26-27th of October. Dasha, could you tell us about the summit in Brussels? Sure, every route leads to Brussels. And, uh, well, uh, European leaders discussed the revision of the EU's long-term budget for the first time. And uh, which is very important for Ukraine, as it will include the Ukraine Facility Financial Instrument, which provides uh, 50 billion euros for four years. So uh, while researching the topic, I uh, would like to uh, highlight some focal points of of, of this summit or uh, let's say key takeaways. So uh, along with that, the EU discussed the introduction of the 12th package of sanctions against Russia. It is expected that it will primarily concern restrictions on trade in Russian diamonds, aluminium and dual-use goods. By the way, I searched in 2022, Russia exported $3.8 billion worth of diamonds. Uh, Surely this amount may seem small compared to the volume of uh, Russian energy trade, from which, by the way, Russia received a hundred times more, that is more than $380 billion last year. Uh, However, the Russian diamond industry plays a major role in financing the war against Ukraine and is one of the key industries for Russia's relations with India that Ukrainian diplomacy is trying to win over to its side as a part of so-called Global South. And another hot topic was confiscation of Russian assets. So the European Commission will soon present proposal to use the proceeds from Russian sovereign financial assets frozen in the EU, which currently amount to 211 billion euros to help rebuild Ukraine. And earlier we spoke with Tatiana Hutor, who is the head of um, Institute of Legislative Ideas Think Tank, and we discussed that, you know, from a legal point of view, property rights are indeed inviolable, and um, it is universally recognized. However, this principle gives away to the need to protect sovereignty and uh, territorial integrity from military aggression, and that is why we see this mechanism, because Ukraine does protect sovereignty. And this falls under the umbrella of a legitimate countermeasure, because you see, assets are taken in response to another state's uh, violation of international law and uh, are intended to force the latter to return to uh, civilized behavior, although I have doubts that Russia is capable of doing so. But uh, in any case, this is precisely the situation in which the civilized world and Russia currently find themselves. And uh, there is also the economic side of the issue, because uh, financiers argue and oppose the confiscation of Russian assets, fearing the weakening of the world's two major currencies, and surely we talk about the euro and the dollar. 
and the withdrawal of uh, foreign capital from their countries. But uh, at the same time, we see that experts argue that these concerns are exaggerated for several reasons. Number one, by freezing assets, the so-called shock effect has already been formed. Um, and political risks are factored into the cost of capital placement uh, services, and confiscation will have little effect. And number two, in order to deviate from the two major world currencies, uh, alternative must be must be found. So mm, this equivalent, let's say, currencies must be available, and that's not what we see today. And Ukraine is adamant... Uh, about implementing the global compensation mechanism, which uh, calls for the establishment of three components. And the, the first one is a register of damages. The second one is a compensation commission. And the third one, a compensation fund. So the fund will most likely, to, most likely uh, be filled with confiscated Russian money. And the topic is vibrant, but nevertheless, we have some news from another important summit where the issue of just peace was discussed. So, Nastya, would you mind telling us more on that? Uh, sure, Dasha. Um, the summit, uh, the Ukrainian Peace Formula Summit, took place in Malta on the 28th, 29th of October. Uh, this uh, has been already uh, the third meeting in this format. Uh, the previous ones, ones took place in Copenhagen and Jeddah. And this time, this summit was already held on the level of national security advisors and foreign policy advisors. And um, they were representatives of 66 states and uh, international organizations. And it's a great deal, it's a big move forward uh, regarding the scope of countries and uh, regions uh, covered. Because uh, at the previous summit, uh, the previous meeting, the representatives of 42 states were present. Now we are talking about um, 66 states. And uh, even though the meeting was um, held behind closed doors and uh, there is no information about the um, representatives of which countries uh, took part in it. This is a disclosed information. Uh, so, uh, but, but there is uh, there is information that the representatives of Europe, Asia, Africa, Latin America took place um, in this summit. Uh, took part in this summit. Sorry. Uh, the main focus was on five key areas, uh, the five key points of the Ukrainian peace plan. So this time, the nuclear security, food security, energy security, uh, release of prisoners and deported uh, people, and restoration of territorial integrity of Ukraine and world order were discussed. And uh, Ukraine uh, presented its uh, plans uh, within every key area uh, with a certain amount of steps, uh, practical steps that should be taken to solve the problem. Uh, and uh, according to the head of Ukrainian group at this summit, uh, according to the head of uh, the office of the president of Ukraine, Andriy Irmak, even uh, several international working groups were created to uh, implement uh, the steps that uh, were discussed during the meeting. So, um, 
getting into more details about each of the key sphere, uh, I'd like to start with the nuclear security and uh, the Ukrainian side emphasized the importance of uh, taking um, the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant back uh, under Ukrainian control. And in order to do that, the role of the IA, uh, IAEA should be raised and should be strengthened. Uh, and um, directly under the guidance of this international organization, the smooth and uh, effective uh, effective shift of control to Ukrainian side should be uh, should be taken. In terms of food security, uh, again, the focus was placed on the security guarantees for uninterrupted food supplies. And here, of course, we mentioned the uh, the safety, the security of port facilities and uh, the security of grain corridors, sea grain corridors. Uh, talking about the energy security, the focus was placed on the energy resilience and um, the ways how to prevent the critical damages uh, to energy infrastructure under the enemy's attacks were discussed. Um, regarding the another big problem uh, of Ukraine, the prisoners of war and the deportations, um, some practical steps how to release the prisoners of war and uh, deported people were discussed. And uh, Ukraine um, offered to create international monitoring group uh, to uh, detect people who are held captive in Russia uh, and uh, in this regard, it is important to strengthen the role of international organization and namely the UN so that it would be possible to find out the current situation of uh, Ukrainian uh, prisoners of war and deported Ukrainians. And of course, uh, the uh, primary focus is on working out the mechanisms, the legal, international legal mechanisms, how to protect the rights of Ukrainian prisoners, how to uh, take Ukrainian people back to Ukraine and how to prevent uh, the uh, repetition of uh, committing the similar or the same crimes. Regarding restoration of territorial integrity of Ukraine and the world order, the main focus was on the necessity of... Um, uh, UN Security Council reform, namely the uh, reform of uh, veto uh, procedure. And also Ukrainian side is insisting on the strengthening the role of International Court of Justice. Uh, and um, the last but not least thing that was discussed there, it's more... It's less practical, let's say. So it's about more strategic long-term vision, but uh, Ukraine is calling the international uh, community to uh, create the mechanism of early uh, warning, uh, warning of the events, or uh, to, it is, Ukraine says it is important to develop the early warning system uh, to prevent the uh, flaring up of conflicts in different parts of the world. So it is a very um, profound and it's very demanding, challenging task to fulfill. But uh, in terms of what is going on uh, on the global stage now, it is indeed important to create this system that would help to prevent uh, to prevent the scaling of conflicts in different parts of the world. And uh, Ukraine puts a special emphasis on that. 
regarding the uh, states, the representatives of states that were present, as I've already told that there is no precise information about uh, countries that were presented. It is disclosed information, but Ukrainian side confirmed that um, China, the Chinese representatives weren't uh, present at the uh, meeting, at the summit, uh, despite the Ukrainian efforts to um, to have Chinese representatives there. And uh, at the previous uh, summit of this format, uh, Chinese representatives expressed their readiness uh, to take part in the next meeting. But unfortunately, it didn't happen. But still, Ukraine has a plan to hold a global peace summit uh, by the end of this year. And uh, Ukraine is uh, taking all the efforts uh, to um, invite uh, all the important players uh, that um, could help to develop the peace formula and to bring uh, the war to the fair and just end. Thank you, Nastya. And uh, basically, very, we, we are stepping up to next topic very logically from, you know, as you have mentioned, preventing uh, conflicts. Well, now I'm about to tell you about uh, law frame, about preventing political conflicts. So basically, the uh, law on PAP, or politically exposed persons, is a very long-awaited one, because um, basically what has happened? Uh, President Zelensky sends a law on lifelong financial monitoring of top politicians, and this is the last step to start negotiations on Ukraine's membership in the EU. What value did it bring? The main innovation of this law is that now, instead of three years after leaving office, top officials will have a de facto lifetime status of uh, politically exposed persons. The essence of the changes is that PAPs do not actually enjoy the presumption of innocence. And that's not about uh, violating um, personal space or individual rights. These persons are a a priori suspected of maintaining high influence even after leaving office. Therefore, a person who has once became a politically exposed person must be under financial control for a lifetime. This means that banks should carefully review all financial transactions of such clients and report to the regulatory authorities. And basically, who are these politically exposed persons? They are those who hold important public positions. For instance, the president, prime minister, or members of the government. And all of this is defined in the current law on prevention and contraction to legislation of proceeds of crime, terrorist financing, and financing of the proliferation of weapons of mass destruction. Uh, this law is the result of the implementation of the recommendation of the Financial Action Task Force on Money Laundering, and Ukraine pledged to implement these recommendations when it signed the association agreement with the EU. And uh, what I found is that, according to estimates by MP Yaroslav Yurchushin, there are currently about 10, 15,000 PAPs in Ukraine. So we can anticipate noteworthy developments against this background. So I guess that's it for today. Many thanks to our listeners for staying with us and their willingness to know more about events in and around Ukraine.